and welcome to the Trash Tapes podcast as part of the Enigmatic Productions Network. If you love bad cinema and incredible deep dives into cult film, then you have come to the right place. So if you like what you hear and want to support us, you can do so by donating some funds to our Buy Me A Coffee website, along with the ACAR supporter feature. All of these can be found in the description below. And now, on with the show. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Trash Tapes. One man's trash is another man's treasure. My name is Johan Schipold, your host and guide through the world of terrible cinema, reporting live once again from my pandemic bunker on this very hot June day to give you all a little disclaimer. This episode was one of the hardest to edit and one that I'm not entirely proud of. Now, it's not because it wasn't funny or doesn't have moments of insight. But the sheer frustration and incoherence of this review, well, if you can call it that, the film Ed and I reviewed somehow got to me, um, causing moments of immaturity, unprofessionalism, and just sheer rage. It was horrible to hear what sounds like a mental breakdown as I edited. It failed as a review. And it failed as a representation of myself as a character. It basically sucked. It allowed me to have a long, hard look at myself and reflect on how this strange time has affected me. And I need a little time away to regroup. It was obvious that my mental state has not been in the best place because of current events and isolation. It allowed me to be reflective. Feel like everyone needs a little opportunity to do that once in a while. But now that the lockdown is slowly easing in this country and the new normal is starting to form, as well as having now more free time from work and projects, it was time for me to go back to this episode and approach it differently, focusing on the humour and the overtop nature of the film and the reactions that we got. Once completed, I felt like it was the best I could salvage from what was already an infuriatingly long episode. This is the reason why this episode took a lot longer to come out than usual. So I want to apologise for this review not being as clear or as professional as other episodes, for not reaching that high standard that I feel like we're starting to strive into. And I also want to apologise um, for my in advance for my behaviour. Um, and for how I reacted and approached this film with this sense of vitriol. Um, And I hope to approach future episodes with less bitterness and more open-mindedness. So what was this movie that caused all this in the first place? That would be Richard Kelly's Southland Tales. Please enjoy Ready when you are, champ. Okay. Oh, no, no, you might say that. It's fine. You can call me champ. But really, I'm a pimp. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pimp. I'm a pimp. I'm That's a pimp. going in the pre-title. It's got to. It has to go um, in there. <laughs> I'm a pimp. Right. Complete out of context. Anyway, okay. <clears throat> 
experience trash cinema. of the trash tapes where one man's trash is another man's treasure i am your host johan chapal and the inflictor of pain and i am joined by my victim and dj edward harvey how are you doing i am wonderful considering this weird situation yeah how are we handling things we're doing all right because we're now like on i don't know week 1000 of uh of being in our isolation stations yeah i've kind of well it's weird i've kind of like got back come back to work with my day job and stuff and it's it's mm. it's a strange situation but it's like I've, i'm just i'm kind of getting used to it even though it's weird it's like you have to just get on with it don't you yeah, you have to, because currently at the minute, this has now been, what, week eight-ish now of being isolated at home. And oddly enough, I've just I've just got more hobbies. Amazon's my friend now. I bought so much shit. Yeah, um, So it's, 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 it's as if I'm waiting the moment I'm allowed out of my house. I'm going to have people come in and go, come and behold wonders. Come and see all my wares. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's going to be the case. Um, but to be honest... Um, Nothing, nothing that we've been doing in our isolation stations can even compare to the weirdness that of the movie we're about to talk about today. Totally. Now, I suggested this movie to you because I've, it's always been in the back of my head. And it's because recently I've been watching a few things from this director and I'm thinking, OK, I need to, I need to share this with you because this, I don't think I don't weirdly enough. I don't know if enough people are talking about it, but then I saw it. This movie was available on Mubi, of all things. You know Mubi, the the, the art house, RT, um, uh, streaming service. Yeah. The one that's the, the the one that's all for higher class movies. Then this piece of cr- trash came on. And I said, okay, right, well, we gotta have to watch this. It seems like the movie wants to be like an arty movie. It's like trying to be, but then it's trying to be a comedy as well. It's like I don't know what it wants to be. Exactly. And that is what's the wonder of the movie we're going to review today, Southland Tales. <laughs> Grief. I'm going to tell you the story of the journey down the road not taken. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. You're gonna have to wear a bulletproof vest. Let's talk about your phone. What's it really about? Look 
so scared, Mr. Santeros. The future is just like you imagine. Someone must be hiding it. It's like the nervous breakdown of the century. Nothing that a killer, a porn star, and a tattoo parlor can't handle. <laughs> in the world if everyone just got a little more cardio. Right. <laughs> right, Southland Tales. Um, is a, Southland Tales, to me personally, is something that is both a wonder and a car wreck. It is something that is confusing and nonsensical to something trying to be way too over-the-top and pretentious. It's a lot going on in the minute, and I kind of knew we had to talk about it. You know what it the the way I kind of summarize it is the fact you know like when you if because we're both like filmmakers you know when you start making films and you kind of like just want to put everything into a film you know yes and it's like that but with a really big budget it seems because it's like when you first start making films you you can't, you your genres and stuff are all over the place and you kind of like I want a bit of that I want a bit a bit of that and I I want to put like loads of like licensed music in it that I can't actually put on my film but obviously yeah. he could because he had the money but like when you're making a film you put like yeah. loads of like tracks in that you wouldn't normally be able to have in a film <laughs> just like... so yeah it's, it's like I'm gonna put all this in and say like, oh oh and he's talking about oh who do I want to have oh I want the rock yeah let's get the rock or oh let's get this it's it, it, if this movie feels like um, a kid in a candy store who's able to get everything but ate too much candy and is now sick and he's <laughs> overloaded himself. So it's like, yeah, it's like a rich, a rich kid has been able to make yeah. a film because they can actually, they've got the funds to just do anything they want. Either. But the weird thing is the way this movie was done and made, it's not technically a rich kid. So I'm going to explain what this is. Okay. So Southland Tales is a 2006 science fiction comedy thriller and is the second film by writer and director Richard Kelly. Now, if anyone is aware of that name, he is the director of the indie tastic and one of the most one of the great films of the of the late nineties, early noughties, Donnie Darko. So I love that this film. is everyone loves that film some capacity you know it's it uh, the original there's the original version and there's director's cut there's people argue that the original cut's always better than the director's but richard kelly got it got his first film made this big cult hit right mm. it didn't do very well in the box office but it did really well on circulation popular pie plant pictured here the title refers the, the, the title refers Southland Tales refers to the name used by the locals when it's talking about Southern California. Yeah. So basically, it's about the movie itself is basically all based in Southern California. Um, the movie is set in the then near future of two thousand and eight. All right. Okay. So this is basically almost like a branch of alternative history. 
Mm. Um, so it's it's so it's like a what if scenario, right? The movie basically falling into, and the film's a portrait of L.A., which it claims this is what it says in the on the description. Um, that it's a that it is a satirical commentary on the military industrial complex and the infotainment industry, with an ensemble cast of literally everyone under the sun and more, all trying to all trying to make some coherent sense of this movie. Yeah. Um, so my goodness. First of all, uh, I want to say that there is a humongous cast in this film oh definitely there's 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 someone you recognize in most scenes like even if they're not the main character you know it's just like there's people cropping up all over there like i like the uh the poltergeist lady what's her name i can't can't remember her name but um yeah yeah yeah, but yeah the the, the old that was a weird choice when i first saw her and uh and and, uh so she she appears uh she appears out of nowhere being one of the many minions of the uh, of the flu of of the fluid energy or fluid karma company, yeah. and just seeing her say some of these lines like is ridiculous. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's random. Crazy. So you have that, but then you also got the big stars. But the, what's interesting, and I think this is what Richard Kelly was purposely trying to do here, was trying to have these actors play off type. So. Yeah. You had Dwayne the Rock Johnson, who is an actor. Is an actor who has political ties to the Republican Party, who gets amnesia, okay, and then uh, writes, and then in that crazy haze, writes a screenplay called The Power that happens to be an almost a Notre Dame's prediction of the future. Yeah. It's crazy. I've got a clip of Boxer talking about his screenplay. Please. The basic concept is this. I play an LAPD cop who isn't who he seems. He's a paranoid schizophrenic <laughs> who has a supernatural gift. He sees things. And he senses a change. Crime suddenly skyrockets for no apparent reason. The world is coming to an end. He's the only one who can see the truth. That sounds to me more like Richard Kelly pitching the movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that clip that clip does go on, but uh, I'll stop it there because <laughs> some of my clips are quite long. They will be because this movie is filled with ridiculously over the top monologues. Mm. Um, let's look. Let's look at the rest of them. So first thing, for we're going for Dwayne Rock Johnson. So he's the amnesiac actor. But the whole point is, is that while he's having amnesia, he has all these almost childlike, like ticks, um, like being very timid. Yeah, I, I found that really jarring, like off-putting, mm. because he's playing this like strong kind of character, like The Rock. And then yeah. all of a sudden, when something scary happens, he goes to like reverts to like a really sort of weird kind of child, doesn't he? He puts his hands up like this, puts and his hands together, like, and, and it looks like an awkward direction that he's been given. Like he's not naturally doesn't want to do that. Like yeah, it's like it yeah, feels, do this every forced. time. Every time something dangerous happens, do this. So he's been told, directed that way, and it doesn't kind of fit with the rest of what he's doing. It feels forced. Yeah. And I think, and oddly enough, I feel like a lot of these actors are acting in a way that feels forced. And I'm mm. not sure whether it's part of the satire or not. This is the weird situation. So, um, other people in there. Sean William Scott is playing what seems to be the hard man in this movie. Yeah. Um, 
so Sean William Scott, a.k.a. Stifler, um, from, you know, American Pie and shit, um, is the hard man in this movie. He's like the strong, silent type, isn't he? He's very quietly spoken, but yeah, he's like, he's the, he's, he is the hard man, yeah, like the hero kind of thing. Yeah, but here's the thing. He doesn't just play one hard man. He plays two hard men, which we won't explain what happens that bit until later on because we're going to – our goal for this podcast is to try and break the Rubik's Cube that is this plot and uh, figure out what's happening there. Uh, then you've got Sarah Michelle Geller, who plays who plays uh, Christy Now, I believe it is. Yeah, that's the name, Chris, yeah. Christy Now. Chris- she was a porn star, wasn't she? She was a porn star who's now a, who's now an online influencer who has a reality TV show that talks about politics with other bimbo porn stars. I've got a clip. It's... I'm Krista. Krista now. And we are here live in Malibu with my guests today, Shoshana Cox, <laughs> Sheena G, and Dina Storm. Join us for an in-depth discussion of the penetrating issues facing society today. Penetrating. Abortion, terrorism, crime, poverty, social reform, quantum teleportation, teen horniness. Quantum teleportation. I love the last two, teen horniness and war. (laughs) (laughs) Like like they're both good conversations to have right next to each other, you know what I mean? Oh, it's brilliant. So yeah, so she's that, which she, which, but it ends up being a lot deeper. It turns out that she's she may be manipulated by the left wing, and oh, let's not even get started. You then got other people as well. You've got like uh, Wallace Shawn. You've got Miranda Richardson. You've got Mandy Moore. You've got Justin Timberlake, who um, is not really. Who's oddly enough, he seems to be the narrator. But he's, he, I don't know if he's really central to the movie, but he's just there. Yeah, it seems really weird that he, he's narrating the movie. And it, I found it annoying, you know, like, I just, I, I, I don't know, his character is really, like, annoying to me. I don't know why. It's, it... Well, it's, I, I think it's annoying for the fact that there's, there's no reason for him to really be there other than to remind people that they that this that he survived the war yeah that's literally all he's there for and to also sing a musical number which we will get to oh boy we will get to that um yeah there's there's like that's that is a proper music video moment isn't it it is it's just a music video but i'm uh, well Oh, God, it's difficult to not to just get to those points straight away, like jump right to him because it's just like it's it's just in your mind, isn't it? Basically, the movie is this really bizarre mashup of multiple genres. It's considered to be a science fiction. It's considered to be a comedy. It's considered to be a thriller. It's considered to be a political satire. It's co- it's considered to be a uh, a farce. It's considered to be um um. Just a, a, a commentary it, it's everything it's everything but also at the same time it's absolutely nothing because it doesn't pick one no <laughs> if it picked one we could go along with it but even if the movie doesn't so how how am i supposed to know Uh, there's quite a few interesting facts about this movie, okay. which you can totally imagine. So, uh, very first thing, um, basically, 
is I've got one of the best things, one of the best sources for this one. Um, Vice did a really good article on talking to Richard Kelly about Southland Tales. So if anyone wants to look at it in deeper, you should totally have a read of that. It's fantastic. He came up with the idea for this, uh, for, for the film, before September before September 11th. So before the 9-11 attacks. Right. The original script was involving something very much more crime thriller kind of like what the train the rock johnson was pitching yeah but that was the original pitch right so it involved blackmail porn star two cops uh one cop might was gonna was gonna have schizophrenia and so it's basically gonna be like a crime drama but then after the attacks kelly revised the script he said and i quote the original script was more about making fun of hollywood but now it's about i hope creating a piece of science fiction that's about a real important problem we're facing, about civil liberties and homeland security and need to sustain both both those things and balance them, right? Yeah. So suddenly, this movie that wasn't going to be political at all, what it turned he tried to really hammer in this sort of political satire. Yeah. Like, he was really trying to hammer it in. Yeah, because you've got security guards with, like, sniper rifles and stuff. Yeah, and and Justin Timberlake, who by the looks of things, is just keeping an eye on a pier or something, is on a turret. Yeah, like a massive sniper turret. It's ridiculous. That security? Scary. Yeah. It's fucking terrifying. Uh, he goes on to say he describes the film as a tapestry of ideas all related to some of the biggest issues that I think we're facing right now. Alternative fuel or the increasing obsession with celebrity or how celebrity now intertwines with politics. Um, he says he says basically that with the film's premise being a nuclear attack on Texas, which is what sparks a whole alternate future, uh, Kelly wanted to take a look at how the United States would have responded and would respond to something like this. And and while constructing a, and I air quotes, great black comedy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I hate. Can I just say I kind of hate it when directors who. Although this was said during the whole thing, and I think around that time, but I hate when directors do make a piece of rubbish, right? And they backtrack themselves and say it was always meant to be a comedy. Yeah, like like Tommy Wiseau with the room and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I kind of feel like he's doing a little bit here. I mm. think he's trying to put all his eggs into one basket, and it just didn't work. I don't believe I don't believe his bull in the slightest. No, I mean this is what happens when your original idea is so different to what it, it, mm. it, be, it ended up being. It's like you well, and actually, I'll, I'll write a I'll have a serious movie idea, and then I'll yeah. transform it into a comedy, and it's never going to work. Um, I mean, some great comedies are movies that don't make you laugh that much, but there are moments of pure comedy gold, and it works. It's, there's a story behind it. But I feel like with the Southland Tales, there's no story here. Or if there is, there's a lot. And I'm going to explain a little bit more, and I'm going to show you a little something that I did here. He did say, though, after all this, that the whole experience making the movie was a little bit complicated. Um, basically, um, the studio... After the sort of cult rise of Donnie Darko, which has slowly gotten like over the years, it got it's it's now become a beloved movie. That film, really, oh, right? But this is smelling so much of like you make a great first album. Now is your time to do the second album, and it it this is where it flops. Yeah, 
Yeah, I um, mean, it's not always going to be. I mean, like, you have, like, people like uh, M. Night made his early movies, like, yeah. were awesome. And then all of a sudden, he couldn't kind of keep that going. But Yeah, and same goes, oddly enough, some we've, we've already talked about uh, John Borman, a.k.a. Zardoz. Yeah. Because he made Deliverance first, and then he goes off and makes Zardoz. And then he goes and makes Exorcist to the Heretic. So I feel like is Richard Kelly the modern equivalent of a John Borman? <laughs> yeah, probably. But yeah, it sounds that way, doesn't it? I mean, is this this generation Zardoz? <laughs> yeah. Although yeah, Zardoz it was like it was trying to be sincere throughout. It wasn't trying to be yeah. funny at all. Where this, you can tell that there is some obvious kind of comedy in this. Yeah, and it, and but that's a weird thing. Some of it works, and some of it falls very, very flat. Since it didn't do very well, uh, Donnie Darko in cinemas, he thought like, "Oh, that's it. That was a flash in his pan." But ever since, selling a couple of scripts and then um, going and get, and then suddenly becoming a cult hit, uh, Donnie Darko, he was given the opportunity to make this movie. Yeah, so. I said, look, I've got this really ambitious film. And people were, and everyone and their grandmother were excited at the time because obviously is Richard Kelly. This is the moment where it's like, he is this new up and coming sensation. If you've seen Donnie Darko, you're going to, everyone and their their grandmother wanted to get involved in this movie. Yeah. Well, you can kind of see that because it was very, very sort of different, wasn't it? A very, very striking Mm -hmm. movie that came out of nowhere. And it's like, ooh, this is good. I want to work with this guy. He basically said, Richard Kelly said that the film's biggest influence, while he was writing it, the biggest influences were the following. And I can, and I want to see if you can recognize it, because I definitely can. Uh, 1955's Kiss Me Deadly, which I can sort of sense mm. as well. Um, Pulp Fiction. Yeah. I can definitely feel Pulp Fiction by having the multiple storylines running through. The structure of it's very Pulp Fiction. Mm. Uh, Brazil. Yeah. Which, which is that weird sort of like dystopian idea of corporate of corporatism stuff like that and dr strangelove all right yeah yeah and you could kind of see all that but i think the problem with it is it's like and this is something we're going to tackle on in a bit this whole movie feels like richard kelly's favorite things the movie yeah it's like a pick and mix (laughs) exactly it's a pick and mix you're grabbing all the bits together but it's still not going to make a good collection of stuff yeah, or like an all-you-can-eat buffet kind of thing. Like, give it the wrong, take the wrong person to a buffet, and they'll just put like an ice, a scoop of ice cream on a salad. <laughs> yes, it, this okay. That 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 should be a thing. This movie is a scoop of ice cream on a crispy Caesar salad. That's actually a quote from Jerry Seinfeld. Like he did, a, he said that on a stand-up show. <laughs> but you know what? He is he's summed up this movie goddamn perfectly. <laughs> Uh, the studio got a little nervous. So he says, okay, so the movie, he said, like, all right, how much is so? He, he said, like, the movie really should should have cost something like 50 million, and we should have had, and it should have been like this amount of time to film. The studio only gave him one month to film that entire movie and $17 million. So mm. he was already feeling restricted. Mm. So not only could he not do his big dream, on top of that, he was restricted to a time limit and restricted to amount of pay that he couldn't really pull off. It, to the point that, actually, everything with Justin Timberlake was shot in a day. <laughs> you can definitely tell that. <laughs> he, he 
one place, doesn't he? No, well, actually, he's he's in a few scenes, a few different places. Like, but it, it, yeah, I can see that it, it wouldn't have taken long to do his footage. Yeah, it's just Justin Timberlake. Oh, we're gone for a day. Excellent. Which make, again shows how irrelevant his um, his role is because it was able just to be done in a day, barely interact with everybody else, and that's it. Yeah, you kind of have the illusion that he's in the movie a lot because of the narration. Because he's like he's he's yeah. heard more than he's seen. Yes, he's just heard. So you think you're like, oh, so he's the thing that glues everyone together. But it's like he's never met any of these people, yeah. unless unless he's just doing it from the sniper rifle that he's stalking down. Yeah, I guess that choice may have been because Justin Timberlake was absolutely massive at this particular point, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, it's like he's huge. It's like, oh, you know how great it have Justin Timberlake in your movie? Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> Apparently, though, Justin Timberlake uh, was most of Justin Timberlake's lines were dubbed because, according to Richard Kelly, he said he misdirected Justin and made him too sarcastic at the time. Ah, okay. (laughs) Which might explain the voiceover, but the thing with the voiceover is he sounds so tired. Yeah, it's a bit like uh, like Harrison Ford in the Blade Runner when he. You know when like, he did that unnecessary version with the narration, and he's like yeah. he, he hated it, so he just did a really lazy performance. Apparently, when when he's been questioned about that, he says, "No, I did, I, I did a normal performance. It was fine." There were loads of like little troubles on the shoot, mm. but they, eventually it did get done. Um, he did say. That he, st- he still says sort of to this day that that entire experience he was incredibly proud of. He still says that he's very proud of it. Um, but he also kind of learned at the end of the day that he was young. He was he was 29. He, he, he was too young to direct a film this ambitious. And you know what? I'm glad he's at least admitted that. Yeah. Do you know what it reminds me of uh, in mm. terms of that whole scenario? David Lynch with Dune. Yeah, actually. Yeah, I've, I've obviously I've, I'm doing a video on that soon, so like I've been looking at that. But uh, yeah, he he was obviously given this massive production, like this movie mm. to do, and like, and he didn't really have much control. And it's mm. like it's so much money, and so and he was young, and it's like it's echoing this situation, isn't it? Like it's definitely similar. Yeah, it definitely sounds like because before he did Dune, he did what? He did the Elephant Man, didn't he? Uh, yeah, and he raised a head. So. <laughs> and that's it. That's about it in terms of major movies. So, yeah. so Eraserhead. So to think that he did Eraserhead, and then to do the Elephant Man, and then say, "Oh, you would be perfect for Dune." Yeah. Do you know what though? He. Uh, we're going a bit off, like on, on off topic here, but we're still kind of there. No, it's uh, still there. And it is basically he turned down Return of the Jedi to do Dune. How can I just say though? How awesome and weird would have would have that, that the Return of the Jedi by David Lynch would have been? Yeah. Like I would have dreamed for that. Would have been awesome. This is the thing that everyone remembers Southland Tales for. So Kelly sent the organizers of the 2006 Cannes Film Festival a rough cut of Southland Tales mm. on a DVD, assuming that it wouldn't be accepted. Right. So he just he just pushed it in a rough cut. Right. Much to his surprise, the Cannes Film Festival loved it <laughs> and wanted the film entered into the competition for the Palme d'Or, right? Okay. This is the rough cut, right? So he stopped editing the film 
and he was stopped editing the film because he was busy trying to do other things after this. He was he was moving on to his next project as well, but um, which which means also that this he wasn't able actually to finish off quite a few visual shots. Yeah. So he's, so this movie was very much incomplete. This version of the film was 160 minutes. So it was close to three hours. Oh, my God. Which means, which actually means we got a movie, we got, well, the version we got to see was about 45 minutes less. It was two hours, 15 minutes. So another 45 minutes of this, right? I so, thought it was longer. I thought it was over two, I thought it was about two hours, 30 something. Nah, it was only two hours, 15, but it felt longer. Than yeah. <laughs> it felt, I was clock watching. I was looking at the timer all the time thinking, how long is this going on for? And did you look at the clock and think, are you sitting there going, how is this only 15 minutes? I feel like I've been here a lifetime. <laughs> so the movie was so critically panned at Cannes, right, that people were booing the screening. People were walking out. People called it the most atrocious screen, major screening by any director in the history of Cannes. It was horribly booed. Kelly describes the reaction, the negative reaction to Cannes, as being a very painful experience on a lot of levels. <laughs> um, and ultimately, he felt the film was better because of it, because it forced him to do cuts and to reevaluate the movie. Yeah. Even then, though, it makes me curious what the other 45 minutes were. Oh, God knows. I don't know. Maybe more like sort of cars fucking. Maybe more cars fucking. Maybe another musical number. I don't know. <laughs> oh, we're going to get to the car fucking. Um... <laughs> we, keep, like, like, we keep sort of saying spoilers of like the plot, don't we? Because it's, just like... it's just so random. It's so random. Just can't help it's talking so about it. deeper into the rabbit hole you have to stop me if i ever fall too deep into the rabbit hole it's like a hot it's, it's i feel like one of those weird conspiracy theory nuts the ones you find on youtube and you go going and say well everyone's a lizard person i feel like this right now talking about this movie <laughs> i am the lizard king i can do anything it's like fucking jim morrison like yes <laughs> God, oh, oh, this this episode's gonna be interesting interesting to edit because yeah. i am getting but I'm getting very deep. it fits in with how the movie is. You know, if, yeah. it, if it is like all over the place, it doesn't matter because that, that's how the movie is. He ended up cutting 45 minutes of the film, right? So Kelly basically edited it down, right, to the basic plot lines that were involving Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Sarah Michelle Gellar, and Scott, uh, you know, and Scott, right? Sean yeah. William Scott. The director also demanded to keep the musical number with Justin Timberlake in because he felt, and I'm not joking, he says he felt it was the heart and soul movie. <laughs> Excellent. Well, to be honest, that's that whole little sequence, uh, that musical number, I'm going to talk, let's talk about musical number for a minute because I feel as if this is probably the scene that everyone has seen even in or out of context. Mm. So Justin Timberlake is uh, a soldier who's come back from the Texan-Iran-Iraq war because um, the whole point is that terrorists came in, 
blew up a nuclear bomb in Texas. And so he's so the America's now fighting everybody. He's fighting Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, North Korea, everyone. So he's one of those soldiers as, uh, that was that sort of survived there. He had a horrible time. Uh, it was shipped back due to some kind of situation, and now he's a security guard on a beach in California with a with the most amazing over the top sniper rifle ever, like we mentioned. <laughs> he's also randomly a drug dealer, cause okay. Do you bleed? Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, it's so ridiculous. Because this is also Justin Timberlake's looking. He's trying really hard to be a hard man, but it's yeah. weird with his tiny weird afro curls yeah his, his natural voice isn't like that at all so he's really trying his best to put it on isn't he yeah uh yeah he's really trying hard so at this point he's trying to be like i'm trying to be grizzled i'm trying to be hard but at the same time all you're hearing it's gotta be me you're just hearing yeah just- this is fucking mr nsync you know <laughs> yes it doesn't match. And I look again, I understand what Richard Kelly was trying to do. Maybe get some undiscovered talent. But sometimes you can't sometimes you didn't want yeah, I get that sometimes some actors get pigeonholed into certain roles. But sometimes it's because they're good at it. Or sometimes it's because they're too green to be in a role like this. And that what I believe the Timberlake thing is. Yeah. So Timberlake is selling a drug of some sort that you inject into your neck and it makes you feel euthoric, kind of like heroin, but maybe not. Okay, I've got a clip of him describing it, so let's play that. Let's get down to business. What is it? (laughs) Straight up fluid karma. I mean, me and my boys been smuggling this shit out of utopia. Look, green, he drained. That lady music comes in, it sounds really inappropriate. I know, right? I'm giving you blood red. (laughs) Do you bleed? (laughs) I said, do you bleed? Yeah, dog. Yeah, yeah, dog. (laughs) (laughs) You talk to God. This bit is amazing, listen. You hear his voice, and you see his disciples. They appear like angels under a sea of black umbrellas. Angels can see through time. I mean, it sounds poetic and beautiful, but it's totally out of place. Why is that in the movie? It also means, like, it's also... This is another problem with the movie as a whole. It's like... He's quoting like literature and he's quote and you know, like the whole movie in general, like the lines quoted directly from song lyrics, from literature, from other movies and other things like that. But you're sitting there thinking, this is so out of place. And also things like angels with black umbrellas. And he's thinking, what does that even mean? What's the context of saying that? Like going back to when I was saying about like an early filmmaker's project and you kind of try and be all poetic in your dialogue. Mm. Yeah. And this is where we're talking about it because once he he describes a drug, he injects the drug onto himself, he passes out, he then wakes up randomly and then all these things that are done by the killer's plays... And a music video turns up. Just a music video turns up. Yeah. Um, 
with Justin Timberlake singing I got soul but I'm not a soldier and I can't again but that is so like so on the nose I get it I get it Richard Kelly I get it <laughs> I'm getting so bad I'm getting so bad um and it's Sorry. a long piece. This is like you, I, obviously knowing about music licensing and stuff. There's yeah. loads of like long sections of songs which be, which would be so expensive to have mm. like big, really big songs of the time. Like we've got Muse in there at some point as well, and we've got yeah. like the Killers, like you like you just yeah. mentioned. And it's just like the whole song, pretty much. It's pretty much the whole song being played. With Justin Timberlake's got blood all over his shirt. He is walking down. He's walking down this uh, arcade that's also kind of a nightclub for the for the security guards, soldiers that are keeping and manning the beaches. Um, and then suddenly, some sexy nurses turn up. All of them are introduced by. Do you know what? What's what? Do what, you, know, you know that ball machine? The one that you roll the thing up. Like they're all lying down there doing the can can. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay. And then they're all getting provocative and they're going around and they're doing the can can stuff and they're doing it all over these arcades and it's smoke appears. I know it becomes a full. It's just a music video by this point. Yeah, it just like a Justin Timberlake music video by that point. He's just reverting to his Justin Timberlake persona at that point, isn't he? Like. Mm. And you know what? If as a music video, it would have been awesome as a soul, as a single four-minute music video that you'd see on MTV. People say, "Have you seen that new Justin Timberlake music video? It looks cool. Yeah, it yeah. looks cool." Not in the middle of my goddamn movie. Yeah, it's, it's the only like sort of bit of thing. You know, that's, that's pretty good actually. <laughs> the move that bit is great, but the problem with that is is that it makes don dilly dung dang sense in context because again he seems to have the drug the drug makes him want to sing a song he has a musical number and then it just ends yeah it, there's no context to it it just ends and it moves on to the next scene hmm. but it just seems to do that a lot though doesn't it it should show you something then moves on It continues on saying that the editorial changes that were made to restructure the order of the film scenes included re-recording Justin Timberlake's voiceover, as we mentioned. Um, and director had to add 90 new visual effects shots in order to remove about 30 to 35 minutes of footage from the initial cut. So, yes, the shots, the film got smaller, but now there's more visual effects to blend everything together. Yes. Yeah. Talking of visual effects, we've got. To, let's just talk about that car bit. We've got to. Can we talk about that now? Or yeah, let, yeah let's what, talk about the, the car. Thing, the thing is, though, with this with this podcast, we don't necessarily have to go in sequence because the movie doesn't go in in like a sequence. The movie, so we you, can you, go. You, I think we can go all over the place with our podcast. And you know what? With this episode, you know what? Yeah, fuck it. We're just gonna say things as we go. So, so we're, go on. So we showed this is like showcase of like a new commercial. And it's kind yes. of like, it, it, it looks like PlayStation graphics, doesn't it, for a start? Oh, my God. Of like a car, like, sort of pulling into, like, a car park. Then it, but then it goes pulling behind in. another car, like, starts to mount on it, which reminded me of that Aerosmith album, Pump. Yeah, yeah. And basically, it just, after it, yeah, so the car is then fucking another car. And it just literally says, in the exhaust. And then you just get this bit of uh, voiceover. The 2008 Trier Solitaire. Coming soon. 
also coming soon. And you know what? It was that it, it, there was some bits of this movie that didn't make me laugh. That was more like a scratching my head moment. But the response from the CEO of the one of the companies was said was said like um is is this in there going like is that supposed to be is what's that supposed to be an advert for? And then the other and then the other guy behind him said, oh don't worry, that's just the European cut. <laughs> he actually, I think he actually says, "Did we just see two cars fucking?" Yes. Like, did we just see two cars fucking? Is it? Oh, I assume that's just the European cut. <laughs> Which is actually a funny joke because European adverts are a bit like that in a weird way, aren't they? Yeah, the old, the, the, the whole the, the American idea that some European, like you know, like the French one, sometimes tits are out or something yeah. for no reason. It's I think that's what they were jumping on. There's still more problems with the movie. So in other words, uh, Southland Tales was initially planned. Now, here's something I want to ask. So, did you notice that the movie was done in chapters? Yeah. What chapter did it start on? Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember it starts it on chapter four. Do you know why? Okay. No, I don't know why. Okay. Because originally, Southland Tales was planned to be a nine-part interactive experience. <laughs> what? <laughs> With I've, got to first... see, I've got to add this. What? Yes! That's appropriate. I've actually used it. <laughs> this, yes. So, the first six parts would have been published over six graphic novels, okay, and would have been released in a six-month period leading up to the movie. The feature then would have comprised of fr- the final three parts of the experience, and then there was going to be a website that was developed to intertwine the graphic novels and the movie to put it together. The idea of then the six-part graphic novel then got narrowed down to three, yeah. and then the novels were the novels were written by Ke- were by Richard Kelly and so on and so forth. And he was and he said he wrote them while making what he wrote them. Uh, but he found it difficult while making the movie. Because he found it difficult as it pushed him to the edge of his own sanity, as he re- as he remarked once in an interview. In other words, mm-hmm. in order for you to understand the movie, you need to have read the three part graphic novel prequel mm-hmm. and be involved in a website that no longer exists. Yeah. That's going back to Dune again. That's similar to Dune. You have to really read the books to understand what's going on in the movie. Yeah. It, do you know what's a weird thing as well? This this whole thing reminds me of like the Matrix. Do you remember when the Matrix series came out? Yeah. And you had the Animatrix. You had the video game. You had all this stuff. And if you played everything, you got little extra tidbits of like the big lore, right? Yeah. But when have there ever ever been a film? where you have to read something before going into a movie to find out what happens next. That's just never happened. It's just that's too ambitious, isn't it, to have that? Like, it's just ridiculous. Now, and guess what? I read them. All right. <laughs> I read them. For you guys, by the way, I've read this steaming pile of what the fuckery. Right? Did it help? A little, but I'll tell you what, what I mean by that. It helps a little, just like putting on a single sock helps your foot get warm. You know, it's like, it's not really useful so in, my, in the grand scheme of things. But you're halfway there. I'm halfway there. I'm just halfway there into putting on my shoe. You know, it's just, it's ridiculous. So the what I, what I read was basically it did add more context to things. It filled in some of the gaps that 
the movie was trying to set up, especially involving the the, the fluid karma, involving it, it explains a lot more with the left. It explains a lot more with what Dwayne the Rock Johnson has had, and also explains a bit more about how we got the amnesia. Yeah. But, and stuff like that, and it's fascinating, and it explains a little bit more, like how did he, how did certain people get to certain places, and it pushes some of the motivations. But it still didn't make the whole thing clear to me. It still, it, it something just brought more questions up, or it made me think, well, actually, why wasn't this brought up in the movie, or why is this a thing? And it just turns out, I think, basically, this is too big. This whole movie is way too big to ever be contained into a single movie. Mm. And the only problem is, you now, the thing is, nowadays, nowadays, you would love, people would love to pitch you a whole franchise, you know? Yeah. But back back then, like in 2006, if you're saying, I have a whole franchise ready, they're going to be like, yeah, really? cause, yeah, because like now you've got like Netflix and stuff, haven't you? So it's like, yeah, yeah. We, we'll do a whole series on it because there's loads of series churned out on Netflix, isn't there? How the critics felt about this movie pretty much summed it up. So, uh, Southland Tales grossed uh, out of its seventeen million dollar budget only two hundred seventy-five thousand dollars in the United States box office. Yeah, that's so low, isn't it? Yeah. In the UK, only got $374,000. In Turkey, only 100000 And in some other countries, limited releases. It wasn't going to make its money back. Um, the critical response was about 38% of on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, so giving an average of about a 4.6 out of 10. And some of the consensus saying that Southland Tales, while offering an intriguing vision of the future, remains frustratingly incoherent and unpolished. Yep, I can totally agree. Uh, it, it, it kill, it's, people go on to say that Kelly's camera placement and framing are at best textbook and at worst absolutely mediocre. Mm. Um, so that's kind of scathing. Um, another reviewer mentioned as well is like, a, you get the sense that Kelly is too angry to really find find any of it funny. <laughs> He's It's easy to emphasize with his position. Not, not so easy to remain engrossed in the film that occasionally inspired, but ultimately it's so manic and scattered it's just it's difficult to find the exact pinpoint of where kelly has lost his marbles <laughs> wow wow <Excellent>. that <laughs> one's scathing Ooh. i can agree though yeah no this is the thing i totally agree but oh my goodness that hurts but here's the thing on a recent article by empire in 2020, okay. So I told you Southland Tales appeared, uh, uh, like appeared on the streaming service movie, right? right? Mm, yeah. So it appeared there. The director conducted a live watch along on Twitter, right? And he had some interesting things to say about it. First of all, the film has been given a 4K restoration. <laughs> Who wants that? Not just the theatrical cut, but apparently the original cans edit as well the 158 minute can cut is rough with many unfinished effects but it will be released for prosperity he says so but here's the thing that i think scares me but he says but my focus has been on preparing the epic version 3.0 of southland tales yes apparently he is trying to do a soup trying to do another movie in 
this in Southland Tales, as well as do a remake slash reboot. Don't bother, mate. <laughs> I know. What's this is this is the problem you see because like. If, if going back to like sort of uh, the comparison of Dune again, like obviously yes. David Lynch hated Dune and hated what happened, and and people didn't like the movie, he didn't like the movie, so you just move on. Why doesn't he do that? Because he actually says, and I quote, um, in an interview in 2013, he says again, he still thinks that Southland Tales is one of his most proudest accomplishments, calling it his misunderstood child. Oh, so in other that's words, such a shame because it's not. I don't think it's not. It's not. So basically, what he's planning on doing in Southland Tales, the six-chapter saga, is going to have the... Is basically, what he's planning on doing is he's planning on directing a new Southland Tale prequel film based on the graphic novels, which is going to be a hybrid of animation and live action. The... All the stuff that happens in 2008 is all going to be an animated sequence. This includes things like Dwayne The Rock Johnson's character and Sarah Michelle Gellar, etc., etc., right? But then the movie that the, that Dwayne The Rock Johnson was actually going to make, The Power, is going to be a live-action version of that movie. Why? Okay. And he says that eventually he'll hopefully be able to get everyone back in some capacity. He's trying his hardest, almost in a way, to like tell people, look, I still believe this movie has a lot to say and it's great. But I was thrown to the walls. I, I thrown to the wall. I had less money. I had less time. Um, I was I was pushed down by by critics calling it shit. It ain't shit. It's almost like in denial of it. It ain't shit. And um, I'm gonna prove it to you. It ain't shit by making another movie that proves that it isn't shit. And I, I'm just gonna guess, but I think it'll still be bad. I'm just, this is my prediction. <laughs> just kicks off with Dwayne the Rock Johnson and uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar are pitching the movie like you heard uh, are pitching the movie to this guy who I think may be a producer but he never explains himself and I don't know and I don't technically care and then <laughs> and then then Sean William Scott comes in who is working for the the left wing and oh, I'm trying to break this down. It's so hard. But he's he's brave with West Wing because he wants to frame Dwayne the Rock Johnson, who is a right wing Republican, and use that as fuel in order to stop the corporation from merging with the with the fluid karma thing and stopping Proposition sixty nine. And you, 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 yeah, yeah, you see the rabbit hole is the rabbit hole's getting deeper. I'm really hurting yeah, <laughs> explaining this. Too many th- like things going on, in my opinion. Um, it's too many that things aren't kind of like all working together that well. So yeah, it's like it. I think he's like I say. He mentioned it as a tapestry. Well, it's been sewn very fucking poorly. So um, yeah, because as, as you're thinking, thinking back uh, before the sort of meeting about the screenplay, isn't there that 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 meeting where the uh, guy gets his hand chopped off? Oh no! Yeah, that happened at some point later on. So later on in the movie, you got this this Japanese guy. It's a Japanese guy, isn't it? Yeah, he actually yeah. says he give, he's going to give up a finger, but then yes. he gets his hand chopped off. It's it's this this bit. Ah! Ah! You bastard! You said finger, not entire hand. 
Clearly, your attorneys didn't read the whole contract. A six-inch margin of error in the cutting radius. <laughs> so that, that's kind of just hilarious, but it's, yeah, it's just, it's just... It's brilliant. It's funny. That bit was funny. And I think I get what the... This, that thing is, I can get what it was trying to do. That was all like, oh, satire. So I'll give up a finger for this fantastic new product, this, yeah. this fluid karma, where apparently is this, this alternative fuel where if you use it on certain machines that they're building, you just put it in there and it will never need to have any more fuel again. It would wipe out the oil industry. Stuff like that. Yeah. yeah? That the whole fluid karma people, by the way, are a random mishmash of what the fuckers, right? So you've got the girl, so, so, so you've got the older woman from Poltergeist. You have, um, you have, uh, you have this Asian chick who is just randomly there, and I think she's supposed to be the assassin, but she's not really the assassin. Yeah. You've got this older woman, and then you've got the guy running um, the whole thing, which I believe is uh i think it's wallace sean i believe it is and and that's the thing is again he's playing out of character he's he he sounds comical but now he's supposed to be this hardened grizzled almost machiavellian supervillain almost yeah those guys reminded me of like uh something from like D- demolition man or something yes yes <laughs> it totally feels like if, if they they walked out from that movie because it's so random because no one else in the movie Fits that bill. There's also another bit which I also found funny, and it's the first bit I showed you on yeah. uh, online. So, The Rock, uh, he, for his movie, he decided to do a ride along, right? And the ride along is with Sean William Scott's copper character, right? And as we kind of suss out that the because he's working with the left wing, he's trying to you know incriminate him in some way. He's trying to make him look bad first of all by trying to say something like racist or do something awful or whatever right mm. so he then goes and starts having this weird ass conversation talking about the thing and so he's talking about in and then the rock starts talking about the in the movie and it's mentioning the idea of that let me explain a scenario to you and it's the one with the uh, involving baby and bowel movements yeah in that same scene you get this as well so i'm fucking her last night Right before I come, I puke all over her tits. It happens. It happens. No, I'm telling you. Nobody, and I mean nobody, rocks a cock like Krista now. Nobody. Rock the cock. Nobody. <laughs> How many times did you say nobody? <laughs> Fucking nobody. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, Dwayne Johnson is like really funny in this. I, I think funny, yeah. when he's being just like comedy rock, he's really good. It's like, I just don't like the fact when he does the fragile stuff, I don't think it works. But when he's just being funny, it's great. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, this is the thing. This is why the direction's a bit confusing because there's some of them that, where he's directing, clearly Richard Kelly's directing these guys to do a comedy, right? But then sometimes you're directing them as being serious in a time where it becomes too funny. Mm. So it's really baffling. Um, again, he moves on. To, he moves on to the bit like babies and bowel movements, which is fucking ridiculous. And then Sean William Scott says, "It's like I haven't taken a bowel movement in six days, not even a piss." I'm just, what is this conversation about? And apparently, it's trying to make it feel as if 
the whole movie is trying to give him sort of things that the stuff that's happening in the script is actually happening right now. It's like a weird Notre Dame kind of thing where Sean William Scott's character is actually the hero of the script in the movie kind of thing. And everything's kind of interlocking and it's backwards and it's kind of all over the shop. So he's having moments where he's doubting himself. And there's, some, there's one really cool bit before he did this, where he's looking in the mirror and the, and the ref, and his reflection slightly delayed, which is quite cool. actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's basically saying that he's unhinged and he's not real. I, yeah, I get it. I get it. Unhinged. But um, <laughs> yeah. And so the whole movie is basically playing out. And there's moments where Sean William Scott is realizing that something's wrong with him. Talk about the the anti-establishment kind of crew, like the Marxist crew. Yeah, because yeah, when they're like sort of when they're introduced, you get like that meeting in that van with that guy selling weapons. And yet the guy selling weapons is Christopher fucking Lambert. <laughs> it's amazing, and you've got this this uh, little foreshadowing of what's going to happen yeah. later. But you get introduced to. You know, there'd be a lot less violence in the world if everyone just got a little more cardio. Yeah. Good line. Hey, is that a bazooka? <laughs> she's like, yeah, you're just talking like about like the violence, and then she's like, oh, actually, no, is that a bazooka? And then he said, he goes on to saying like, uh, he explains exactly what it is. Like this is a, ro- a rocket uh, propelled uh, rocket yeah. launcher, and then he goes, and you could not afford that. He's like it's so aggressive. <laughs> yeah, it's it, when I first saw it, I realized it was Christopher Lambert. I, I admit I freaked out. I'm thinking, Christopher Lambert, where have you been? I yeah. miss you. I know, because, <laughs> I mean, in that scene, she's there just actually just to buy some, like, blanks for, like, the yeah. the, the setup that they're going to do later, aren't, aren't isn't mm. it? But, yeah. but she's distracted by the fucking bazooka, of course. Because, obviously, let's not lie, if you saw a bazooka, you said that, is that a bazooka? <laughs> you you, you, you want to ask, too, if that's a bazooka. Yeah. <laughs> because, of course... Um, and it's interesting because Christopher Lambert's character will be appearing throughout the movie and become a surprising major key in it. Even though he's not like important and he doesn't have a major role, he becomes like an essential part of the final of the final act. But the setup's actually quite interesting, and, and but I did find it funny because you've got like these two sort of performance actors I've one's got... played by amy polar uh which i which i like yeah um, the, the, the fake domestic you're talking about aren't you the, yeah so basically the idea is to, to just to get a bit of context of the scene sean william scott and uh the rock are being called as a domestic as a domestic disturbance and you need to go to visit them yeah yeah right then another copper arrives played by but but he's famous as all hell what's his name uh, John Lovitz, I believe, in it. John yeah. Lovitz. I, I remember is... most for like things like the Wedding Singer. He's in that, isn't he? Yeah, uh, but again, he's all comedy, and he's playing this. He's playing Bart Buckman, which is what a name. Who's who's like this corrupted cop, and he's going to say, "I think I'm going to go in there with you," you know, more than one, you know. And he's acting like really hard and grizzled. Are you thinking this? John Lovitz. Yeah, but because he's doing it like that, it is just hilarious. You can't be, it's funny. you can't take that guy seriously. But uh, but anyway, the, the the scene. Yeah. It literally just sounds like this. I'll play a clip. Did you fuck him? Yeah, I fucked him. Oh. I fucked him real good. Oh, do you like it? I fucking loved it. <laughs> you bitch. I fucking loved it. 
basically faking like they're, they're just doing the noise but they're not they're yeah. actually standing apart so they're not actually kind of like do, having a proper domestic but it's just like overacting and it's hilarious and I, then I, I, the, love, I love how he reacts because he reacts like ooh, uh, ooh. yeah that's the best bit they, ooh. Oh, it's so funny. I fucked your brother too ooh. I am so mad and basically oh. they, they've kind of set it up so like they've got like squibs on haven't they like yeah and uh, <laughs> but like there's a i loved it because so when the, the um what's his name the the, the guy you were just talking about he, Bart Booker. Bart yeah, Bookerman. yeah when he comes in and actually to, to uh to just shoot these guys there's a massive delay in the squibs going off isn't there <laughs> yeah so it basically yeah so he shoots them the guys think that he shot the blank and then he shoots the squib yeah, but there's such a delay between the actual shot and this. It's something. It looks like he's been shot, delayed twice, like a reaction. Yeah. Ah, uh, so these two guys actually end up dying, like legit dying. And since the rock's holding a camera this entire time in order to like gain reference, whatever it is, now this is considered to be the incriminating evidence. Yeah. So it turns out that the Booker guy, the uh. John Lovett's character is actually in with the lefties, and this is another over elaborate plot to frame Dwayne the Rock Johnson because he thought that this the first one wouldn't work out properly because you heard their acting. So, um, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> It turns out loads of people got the screenplay because the porn star actress, uh, Krista Now, has actually leaked it on the internet for people to read as a form of motivational, like, propaganda almost. I guess, yeah. Which leads to one of the funniest scenes in the movie for me, which is he gets in this company, by the way, called US Ident, right, which is... Uh, sort of a a branch of the FBI or the CIA or something along the lines of that, that is in basically now monitors everything, basically. So it's a massive security thing where they monitor everything, right? Yeah. And it's kind of funny how this is done because you see like there's one bit where like the woman in charge, she's sitting on what looks like a basically a Dr. Evil kind of chair looking at all the screens and saying, go and kill them and just doing all basically pure blown super villain shit yeah definitely it's like a james um, bond villain type kind of situation isn't it totally um and it leads eventually to killing off uh killing off some members of the left which leads to another sean william scott thing which i'll get to in a minute but one of my favorite bits is when somehow one of the phone operators from that place uh reads the script gets so invested that she actually becomes a character in the screenplay which is Doctor, which she becomes, yeah, Doctor Marion Card. Yes, I am Doctor Marion Card, whatever it is. And um, she and she calls the Rock because somehow she, because she works in security like that, she gets her number. <laughs> she gets his number, calls him, and calls him. Are you Jericho Kane? Which is the character of the movie. It's like yes. And it's like saying I have all the information you need, but we need to meet up. And it's like okay, we'll meet you at the beach. 
So he goes and meets him at the beach the next day. And you know what scene I'm talking about, yeah? I've got a clip of her, actually. I've got a clip please. of the, be- the beach. The beach scene. Yes, please, play it. If you should succeed, remember me, my love. Remember my name. I will. I... I want to suck your dick. (laughs) (laughs) It's brilliant. What do you say to that? (laughs) I love it. And then as well, I love that. Because then afterwards she goes even more bonkers, puts a gun to her head and says, "If if you do not let me suck your dick right now, I am going to blow my brains out. And then Justin Timberlake sees this and shoots her from with her with his super sniper rifle and just kills her off in one gigantic explosion almost because there was a splatter of blood yeah as she gets shot before he does that he kind of like he, he spots that boxer's there and he goes oh boxer santero like oh i know this guy <laughs> ah, so random there's a recurring line throughout this entire movie that doesn't really get any context at all, but he's trying to make it sound deep. Mm. I've never considered committing suicide. I'm a pimp. <laughs> and pimps don't commit suicide. What a line! <laughs> what does that even mean? So... The whole point being is the rock finally discovers something quite deep. And okay, I don't think you'll ever recognize this cameo, right? But the old guy with the beard. Hmm. Do you know who that is? No, he looked he looked familiar, but I couldn't place him. That's Kevin Smith. What? That's the film director Kevin Smith under makeup. What? <laughs> oh, brilliant. Excellent. It's excellent. He's sitting there going, "Why? Why? Okay." To the point that I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something here, right? While I was watching this movie and I found out that was him, okay. Yeah. I got in some kind of tizzy, okay. Mm-hmm. And so, and so I on Instagram because I follow him on Instagram. I sent him a message on Instagram. Yeah. I was so confused that this was Kevin Smith that I said this. Hello, Kevin. I'm messaging you because I need answers. <laughs> Please give me the answers. I'm a huge fan of your work. I love all your films, even the weirder ones like Tusk. Uh, they're inspiring and quirky and brilliant. But I'm doing, a, I'm doing a movie podcast, and another reason why you inspire me, and I watch Southland Tales, and I just found you in it. Well, I couldn't tell after a few... I, I couldn't tell until I had a couple of double takes. <laughs> um, so all I want to ask you is why. Also, how? And also, please explain the movie to me, because I still can't. Any answers will help me in adding more context to this amazing hot mess. Hope you're staying safe in this time of strange. Johan. <laughs> I said that to Kevin Smith, because I said to myself, I was so shocked that that was him. I needed a backstory behind it. I needed a story. And didn't I, get it. I would absolutely love it if he does eventually get back to you. Uh, I was going to say, you know, before we get like, because that pimp line, 
before we yeah. get before we get to that bit in the movie, we've got like the bit about the the fourth dimension rift. Yes. Do you want to talk we, about that? We've bit? got this. Yes, Mr. Santaros. Just like you imagined in your screenplay. And what did we do once we discovered a rift in the fourth dimension? We launched monkeys into it. (laughs) (laughs) See, the things that that stand out to me in this movie just lines like that that just make you laugh out loud. It's just like the the comedy bits, the intentional comedy bits are gold. He's stro- I love it because at the one point he's just stroking a monkey and just about pushing it into like this gigantic weird ball thing. The and thing is, so after funny. after he says that line, I don't know whether you heard of it, it. Softly in the sound design, you can actually hear like a little like monkey kind of scream. So yeah, they find this. They find the rift in the fourth dimension. So basically, somewhere during the explosion during the nuclear war in texas and a few other things there's been a break in the rift in space time which allows them to go into the fourth dimension now the rock has actually already been into the fourth dimension and the reason why he has amnesia is because he time traveled 69 minutes into the past when they did this but it wiped his memory completely yeah. while that's happened and this then leads to the other big twist in the movie, which made me laugh, which basically the twin brothers are not twin brothers. They are doppelgangers from the future. <laughs> oh, God. What is this movie? Okay. Right. So. In other actually, words, it's actually been difficult to talk about because it's so baffling. So it leads to the point where The Rock is now saying to everyone else and saying, look, we need to get out of this. We need to get out of the super blimp, by the way. They're, they're in a blimp, by the way. Um, they're in the super blimp run by uh, Fluid Karma. So that's a thing. Down on the ground, there's riot and chaos by the left and everything else. And then um, one Sean, William, Sean William Scott meets the other Sean William Scott. They hold hands in the back of a truck. And the truck floats. Yeah, the ice cream truck. The Christopher Lambert's truck. (laughs) Yes, which was like knocked to the side or something. And then Christopher Lambert gives it to the, gives like the bazooka to to the hip hop guy. And goes and says like, you know, use it. You can miss the target. (laughs) So the, the ice cream van floats up for, with no explanation as to why it's floating up. And the, the liquid karma people kind of look out the window and it's like... Well, what the hell is that? It's an ice cream truck. It's like quite casually just say that it's an ice cream truck just floating. And then, yeah, the, the uh, hip-hop guy is like, like... The druggy guy is like just yeah. standing out on top of it with the, uh, with the bazooka. Ready to shoot down the goddamn blimp. In that time, then, in the blimp, you have The Rock, who's doing a freeway tango with Sarah Michelle Gellar and Mandy Moore, which clearly is Richard Kelly's fantasy, because it just comes out of nowhere again. And that's another kind of, like, music video kind of-esque moment, isn't it? It looks Mm. very much like a music video. Uh, Yeah. Because it's got the American flag behind them, hasn't it? (laughs) 
to the rear of the Mega Zeppelin. No. Everybody, go back to your seats. Or I kill myself, and I swear to God. Rod. Now, Mr. Santeros, put down the gun. You killed yourself once already. There's no need to be redundant. <laughs> great. That's a great line. That's a great line, admittedly. This is the thing. is The lines are great, but they're not because... They are. I find them too funny in the in a movie that's like this. But it's great stuff. So he's trying to. He's saying, "I will kill myself," and everyone says, and everyone knows, pimps don't commit suicide. So he's threatening to. But that is like that. That moment is a very. That's my favorite sort of imagery in the movie because that's why I used when I was advertising that we're doing this on the podcast. I use that image on Instagram because it's hmm. it's fucking Dwayne Johnson with the American flag behind him with a gun to his head. It's quite a striking image. It, it's almost, again, it feels a little bit like propaganda, like a propaganda poster, isn't it? Like yeah, you see definitely. that, and you're thinking, yeah, it's it, it, it will spot. It's a very strong image, and I think, not going to lie, there are moments in the movie as a whole with some very obviously striking imagery, and then. Finally, to sort of end the movie, basically, the two doppelgangers then realise they're holding each other's hands. A giant, blinding light comes from the sky, and it clearly seems like the apocalypse is about to happen. Um, the apocalypse is about to happen, and basically, Sean William Scott, uh, who was once a soldier in the same vein as Justin Timberlake was, confesses that he forgives himself for the for the mistakes he did of war, and finally, it ends on him basically saying he was a pimp and pimps don't commit suicide. Yeah, I've got the, the last version of that. And God wiped away the tears from his eyes so the new Messiah could see out to the new Jerusalem. His name was Officer Roland Taverner of Hermosa Beach, California. My best friend. He sounds so tired. He is a pimp. And pimps don't commit suicide. God damn it. That's the last line of the movie. That's literally how the movie ends. Nothing's been concluded. Nothing really has been solved. Everything seems very dour. And the movie ends with Sean William Scott being what seems to be the reincarnation of Jesus. And here's the thing. When the big bright blinding light happens and uh, the blimp is about to explode, the rock puts his arms out in a crucifix. And then on his back, there's an image of Jesus being melded onto his shirt out of blood. (laughs) It's great. It's, it's wow. Strong imagery. Great. Good. But why the fuck is it happening now? Oh my god! And it's then, so frustrating. It's so frustrating. Yeah, this this that was Southland Tales, the biggest hot mess of a movie I think I have ever reviewed. Treasure-meter. All right, so so all right, so just to tell you all uh, the people who have listened to us the first time, one again, thank you very much for tolerating us shouting for the last hour and a bit. Um, but basically, the trashometer is how we grade movies. So there are five settings. First of all, is tame. Tame means that it was basically boring. There was nothing really fun about it. It was more dull, right? 
a tiny bit trashy is where there are some glimmer of moments, but there isn't enough there to really have to have had a whale of a time, right? Then you have trash, which is a, mwah, the sweet spot. It's the golden goose. It's the perfect little moment there, the perfect nugget. Then you've got too trashy, which is where there are still some great moments, but we're definitely getting frustrated. And then there is torture. And torture means that we hated this experience. It was torturous, and we would never recommend it to anyone. Now, you can kind of suss out from my tone which one I'm going for, but Ed, what would you go for? Um, I, I did find it quite torturous. <laughs> it's it's Same. high up there. I don't know whether to go with like the high end of too trashy because there, there obviously there are moments we found very funny and like I, I played a lot of them and like so there is it's not all like terrible but the fact that the whole package is so difficult to get through makes mm. it like torture. So maybe the either the low end of torture. Or yeah. the high end of too much, too trashy. I'm going to go with the lower end of torture because this was an absolute slog to get through. The fact that the movie is confusing, it has so many messages. The fact that, yes, there are some really funny moments. And there are funny moments, but they are small nuggets in the giant polished turd that is Southland Tales. And... I'd never want to watch this movie again. I want to burn my copy. I, I am done with this movie. So yeah, torture it is. This movie was really difficult, right? This was more difficult than the other torture film we covered, which was Street Fighter the movie. Because with Street Fighter the movie, it was a disrespect to the source material, to the point that it no longer matched the original source material, right? But at least there was some kind of plot. At least there was something I could follow. At least there's something here. This was far too difficult. And I would never want to go through it again. So that's, that's interesting, actually, because I think we gave Street Fighter 95%. And you're yeah. saying, like, uh, this is like 90% or so, isn't you? So you're yeah, actually it's... giving it a, a lower rating than tra- the Street Fighter, but... Yeah, I'm giving it a lower rating because it's a movie that you have to see it to believe it. It is an experience. It's something that we could not do justice on this podcast because we missed so much. We missed so much just to get to the point of this movie. Yeah. And um, and even then, it's not hard to comprehend. So I'm giving it low because I would still tell people to kind of watch it, but I would tell you this right up front, you are not going to like it, and you are going to be sitting there saying it's the one of the worst films I've ever you've ever watched. But it's such an oddity that the thing is, it has gained a cult following. There are people who are looking back at this movie now and saying that it's a misunderstood gem. It's something that was too ahead of its time or stuff like that. There is a cult following for this movie. And I can totally understand it because it's so counterculture. But it's also the biggest hot mess I have ever witnessed. Definitely, definitely. And I, I, it deserves that 90% trash, I think. Totally. There's, there's no denying it. This movie was horrendous. Right, just to sort of wrap up then, thank you guys, everyone. Thank you guys very, very much for joining Ed and I as we go through, we went through 
the best way we can through Southland Tales. Um, it was it, it. We have plenty of other things up in the works. For example, we're going to start doing like a Saturday morning nostalgia show, aren't we? I can't wait for that. Yeah, and we we've, we've actually got agreed on a title, haven't we now? Yeah, it's uh, it's retro, it's retro Saturday Rewind, which yeah. is a, uh, which is really, 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 really a nineties logo. Really. Just hearing you say it, then it, it, we, I know that it's got to be that title because it just sounds so cool. Uh, and I love it. It's, it's, it's just it, the idea for the show would be us. Maybe if we film quite, we film bulk of them, but we do like every Saturday morning. The video will be up ready on Saturday morning for you guys to watch a cartoon or a kids TV show or some kind of thing we used to watch as kids uh, around that time in the morning. So it would be like cartoons, it would be game shows, it would be some wrestling maybe. Yeah, and it's it's basically just because I think it'll it'll work on the channel because on the main channel there's a lot of nostalgia on there, isn't it? There's a lot of cult mm. films and stuff like that. We've got cult versus current. So why not talk about those kind of things like TV shows and cartoons? That's all nostalgia as well. So yeah, I think it'll work. If uh, yeah, that's the thing is if you guys were, if you are if you are on our, any of our social medias, drop a comment and say what kind of shows you might want us to watch because there uh, there were so many things, so many cartoons and so many game shows uh, back in the day that uh, maybe some of us might have missed one or the other. So it'd be kind of cool to see uh, something like that come on. Yeah, because there was certain ones that I I talked about with people and then you know people say oh, i never watched that so it'd be interesting but we'll, what we'll do is we'll put like polls up now and again and then we've got um we we're doing a lot on twitch at the moment with the enigmatic play yeah we're doing a lot there at the minute um we are we're, we're doing like every sort every sunday or so we are doing like a joint group play um every other tuesday i'm doing some chill out stuff which is quite fun and you might be doing some retro gaming aren't you yeah, we're going to because you've got the chill out Tuesday thing now, and I, I'm yeah. going to introduce Throwback Thursday. I think so. I think it'd be great, and I can play like NES games and stuff like that. Just anything, anything PS2 or lower, isn't it? Yeah, basically nothing, nothing like after PS2. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that'd be fun. That'd be great. And then obviously, and then obviously, uh, we have uh, for the podcast stuff. We've been uh, obviously we've now had a few episodes up. We uh, a recent episode has gone up recently is with the horror hangout guys. That was a lot of fun to do. It's great. I mean, I've I've listened to. It's weird with that one because it's a it's a, like a dual release, isn't it? So you can listen yeah. to the horror hangout version, uh, and you can listen to the trash tapes version. And what you're basically getting is you're going to get a little bit different footage on both, aren't you? So if people yeah. what did want to listen to both. They will get something out of it. It's not like, oh, I'll just pick one and listen to that. Because you'll hear basically how we rank the movie on our show. And you'll hear the Horror Hangout guys rank the movie with our system and vice versa. And you'll also get a different kind of intro as well. So, yeah. Yeah, and the, and the middle bits are kind of like tripped and cut to match the kind of pacing for the podcast and stuff like that. So you are getting a different experience, and that's quite fun. That was quite a lot of fun to do. Um, but like I said, you can catch us on now. You can catch that and well, anything else on all different kinds of podcasting streaming services. So you, we're on Buzzsprout, we're on Spotify, we're on Acast, we're on Apple. Well, we're now on Apple Podcasts. We're, on, we're literally everywhere now, slowly taking over the world. And uh, please, uh, if you do, if you if you Please subscribe, please like, please share episodes and write a review. If you can write some reviews, I want to start gathering some more reviews if there's any out there and you will get a shout out on the podcast. So, so, so basically, thank you very much for tolerating us going for Southland Tales. I hope we haven't destroyed your minds and, and hopefully you will still be alive and ready um, to tune in next time where you can keep an eye on your trash. There might be some treasure in there. 
See you guys next time. And don't remember, pimps don't commit suicide. See you guys later. See you guys. over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode and hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it around with movie lovers you know, maybe add a star rating or write a good review. All of this helps with the algorithm and provides us with more opportunities to reach the ears to a whole new bunch of bad film fanatics. Want to find out more about us? Then head over to our socials where we provide sneak peeks and up-to-date news on everything nostalgic and trashy. You can find our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages in the description. So please, follow us. See you next time, cinephiles. Cinephiles.